Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, May the 23rd, and I'm joined this week by my colleague Jane Godsland. Welcome, Jane, and it's a themed issue of the Lancet largely this week. This is the issue dated May the 24th to the 30th, and it's about diabetes, Jane. Tell us more about this issue. Well, hi, Richard. As you say, this is dedicated to the subject of diabetes. The reason for this is the upcoming American Diabetes Association meeting that's in San Francisco at the beginning of June from the 6th to the 10th. So this issue is going to the meeting, it's going to be presented there, and we've therefore dedicated it to the enormously huge subject of diabetes. Indeed, Jane, and diabetes is a global health challenge, and I think it's fair to say that this issue of The Lancet really does look at diabetes from many different perspectives, would you say? Absolutely. A lot of the content is actually focused on the link between diabetes and cardiovascular disease. This is something that is becoming more and more obvious in the field. Cardiologists are really getting involved. It's a hugely global problem. The International Diabetes Federation currently estimates that the 246 million adults um, have diabetes throughout the world. Half of all of the deaths in these diabetes patients are associated to cardiovascular complications. So the global challenge of diabetes is really reflected in the issue. We have a great geographical spread with research from China, the UK, Finland, Canada, and we also have articles looking at ethnic subpopulations within these countries. There's also a diverse range of topics looking at the very wide differences in areas to be covered in diabetes research. So lifestyle interventions, pharmacological therapies, primary care management and also incidence and risk factors in children. We have a bumper issue this week with five research articles and we also have two really important review articles. We have a seminar looking at type 1 diabetes and cardiovascular complications. This is really interesting because the cardiovascular effects of diabetes normally are associated with type 2 due to the links with obesity mainly. But type 1 also has a substantial risk of cardiovascular disease. This is just coming to light now. It's fairly under-recognised. So this seminar really brings all of the information on epidemiology, pathophysiology and management of the cardiovascular risk in these patients. We also have an accompanying review looking at the mechanisms behind cardiovascular risk in diabetes. This is really important for our clinical readership, as not all of you are necessarily up to speed with the actual pathophysiology behind the complications that you see in the clinic. The theme of diabetes runs throughout the journal, and it's also covered in our perspective section, where we have a profile of Jean-Claude Mobagna. He's a professor of medicine and endocrinology at the University of Yaoundé in Cameroon. This is a really interesting piece, as it really looks in depth at the challenges facing diabetes patients in developing countries. Thanks for that overview, Jane. Moving into some of the research in a little more detail, we can't cover everything, otherwise we'll be here all day. I was struck actually by the first research article, quite thought-provoking, and this is looking at intensive insulin therapy for type 2 diabetes, Jane. This is a study, one of two studies coming out of China. This is, I think, a hugely clinically important trial it's a randomised control trial by Jianping Wung and Yanbing Li from Guangzhou in China. It's looking at the efficacy of short-term intensive insulin therapy compared with oral hyperglycemic agents for glycemic control in newly diagnosed patients. So the theory here is that beta cell function decreases over time in type 2 diabetes patients and perhaps preservation of beta cell function can delay the natural course of the disease. So intensive therapy with insulin as soon as possible after diagnosis can improve beta cell function and therefore induce remission. The remission of diabetes is when the disease is effectively controlled through diet only. So the really important aspect of this trial is that more patients achieved glycemic control in less time 
in insulin therapy group than in the oral therapeutics. So this means that more patients were still in remission at one year in the insulin therapy group than in the oral glycemics. The really important finding here is that early intensive intervention aiming at controlling glycemic levels is beneficial in prolonging remission. So patients treated early as soon as possible after diagnosis have a greater chance of a longer time without having to use any therapies to control their diabetes. Thanks Jane and remaining with China it's great that there are two articles in this week's issue from China. There's another one totally different to the one we've just discussed and this is very much public health type study isn't it looking at lifestyle implications Jane. Can you discuss this paper? Yes and this is as you say great that it's also from China but completely different in this is not looking at pharmacological therapies but actual lifestyle interventions. So this is a 20-year follow-up of the China Daqing Diabetes Prevention Study. So initially in 1986 nearly 600 Chinese patients who all had impaired glucose tolerance were randomized to lifestyle interventions such as improvement in diet and exercise or to control group. These Active interventions lasted for six years. 20 years later, these patients have been assessed for diabetes incidence, mortality and various related complications. It's interesting to see that the lifestyle intervention group had 43% lower diabetes incident and a delayed onset of diabetes compared to the control group. Previous smaller and shorter studies looking at similar lifestyle interventions had thought that diet and exercise had had a beneficial effect due to its reduction in patients' weight. In this study, little weight change was seen between the two groups, so this kind of throws this into question. So actually what we're looking at here is a genuine improvement in diabetes control in patients who maintain healthy lifestyles with diet and exercise. I guess it's not massively unsurprising that lifestyle can have an effect. We know that diet and exercise are important. This was a 20-year follow-up study. Is it clear at what point the intervention is necessary? It's actually not clear at what point you should intervene. What is clear, however, is that the changes to lifestyle need to be made as early as possible. So at any sign of glucose intolerance, that is really the time when these interventions and a change in your lifestyle are really necessary to see any prolonged effect. Thanks Jane and continuing the international theme there's a rather concerning article Jane which is looking at type 1 diabetes in Finland basically showing how it's gone up drastically particularly among young people. Can you comment on this research article? This is a hugely important study partly because it's from Finland. Finland has the highest incidence of type 1 diabetes in children, so the fact that the rate is further increasing is really a cause for concern. The study is from the National Public Health Institute in Finland, and they've looked at the incidence of type 1 diabetes in all children under the age of 14 years, assessed between the years of 1980 and 2005. They found that the incidence rate doubled in Finnish children during this time. In 1980, the incidence was about 31 per 100,000 children. By 2005, this had risen to nearly 65 per 100,000 children. Over time, one of the really worrying aspects of this data is that the largest increase in diabetes in children was between children aged 0 to 4 years. So this is a change in the trend. Previously, the highest incidence in children were between 10 and 14 years. This is now reduced between 0 and 4 years. So it's a really different age group and therefore there's a different set of risk factors at play here. The authors also used a predictive model to look to the future and worryingly they indicated that another 10,000 children will be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes within the next 14 years and these will be getting younger and younger. There is a comment alongside this article. What do the comment authors say in terms of of possible explanations here? 
Well, the common authors, as you say, are looking at why. Why is this happening? And not just in Finland, because it is on the increase in many other countries as well. The common authors specifically raise questions about the link between maternal diet, looking at root vegetable intake, so potatoes and carrots intake during pregnancy, and also in the early child at three to four months, and then the subsequent instance of type 1 diabetes in those children. There's not an established link as yet. I think it's fair to say that It's not a definitive cause and effect. But what is clear is that more studies are needed into the causes of type 1 diabetes in children as young as under four years. This is crucial if prevention strategies can be devised to reverse the trend that we're seeing in Finland. Thanks, Jane. We've discussed three of the five research articles. We don't have time to discuss the other two, but do just signpost us and tell us what they're about. So there's two other great articles. The UK Asian Diabetes Study is looking at timely interventions in primary healthcare management of high-risk ethnic populations in the UK and also a clinical trial, the ARISE trial from Canada, looking at the effect of an antioxidant succinobucol on cardiovascular outcomes in patients with acute coronary syndrome. Let's end back at the beginning and return to the long editorial, which is discussing the global challenge that we face in terms of the complex disease that is diabetes. Jane, why don't you just read from the conclusion of the leader because I think it neatly sums up where we are and where we're going in terms of diabetes prevention and treatment at a global level. Diabetes, a disease recognised centuries ago, has entered an era of exciting scientific research, discovery and controversy. The challenge is to translate research findings into substantial clinical improvements for patients. Although prospects are hopeful, they are not assured. Jane, thanks ever so much for joining us in this special diabetes podcast. Thank you all for listening. See you next week.